<sighs> Sorry about that, everyone. I don't know what is going on here. I think we're cursed tonight. Um, so let's see if this works a little bit better. And let me invite um, Ninian back in here. And let's see if we can get this working this time. So here's here's the audio setup. <laughs> <laughs> let's see let's see if we're less cursed this time around. Take two. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. We've been having some some wicked technical difficulties this evening. It's it's not meant to be. I don't know. Well, it, I think it's <laughs> this time around. So fingers crossed. Fingers and crossed. So the audio setup there, I'm, I'm curious, like what, do you guys have a recording studio as well as having dark rooms? No, my partner's just an audiophile and he really likes music. Okay. So um, he restored that reel to reel, even though we don't use it. Um, like all of these preamps and doodads and whatnots, I don't even know really what they do, but they make the music sound good. That's all that matters, as long as the music sounds good. So right now he is building two matching tube amps. Mono blocks. Mono blocks. Okay. That's exciting. <laughs> he, he would probably really get along with my friend Clint and uh, and some of his hi-fi buddies. I, I was just hanging out at his warehouse the other day and uh, they were mucking about with these like massive all-tech Lansing horned speakers that weigh like 150 pounds each powered with tube amps and all this stuff that I it sounds nice I, I just yeah. don't understand it <laughs> I mean we'll have people over and like you know fire it up and they're just blown away by how good the music sounds in here yeah it beats those Crosleys you could buy at Target right probably a little bit yeah <laughs> So I, I was curious now. Now that um, it, this is working here, what got you into like photography, and then what led you into like the alternative processes? Um, let's see. I got my first camera when I was six, I think. Um, I was an Ansco disc camera, and I would do things like take pictures of my toy dinosaurs in the backyard. Nice. Uh, that was my first foray into photography. Um, and then um, kind of post high school, um, I um, was gifted my stepmother's old F1 kit mm -hmm. and was just like a total maniac running film through that thing. Um, the Canon F1? Or... Yeah, Canon F1. Nice. Um, the 1980 Olympic special version no it was 1980 <laughs> um so so i got i turned into a total shutterbug um and so i had taken a year off of school between high school and going to college and so when i started going to community college i enrolled in a photo class there that program for three and a half years I maxed out all of my photo credits I became um the darkroom tech I was just all in that's cool 
Yeah. And because I, I, uh, teched for classes, I kind of had like full run of the dark room and the studio when they weren't in use. I just used all of my time to experiment and look through books and, um, try all sorts of weird and wacky things. Um, it, that program was heavily, heavily, um, Darkroom focused. Um, we had an amazing black and white lab and two amazing instructors. Um, so that was absolutely the best photo education uh, I could get. And so after I maxed out my classes there, I transferred to San Jose State. Um, and that's where I really got into all process, um, taking Brian Taylor's historic processes class there. I, I'd never heard of that one. What the historic processes class? What, what was yeah, that? About? I mean, it, it's it's standard at most places that have have darkroom facilities where you get kind of a basic intro to alternative processes. Usually starting with cyanotype. So we did cyanotype, Van Dyke, and gum. Okay. And that that's where your your love and hate of of gum began. <laughs> And I, I also noticed that um, you're you're into Polaroids too. What uh, what got you into the Polaroid kick? Um. Well, uh, for what three three and a half years, I worked at Photo Booth in San Francisco, and so we were both a tintype portrait studio and an analog film and camera store. So we were heavily into um, Polaroid and Lomography and all sorts of analog stuff. And um, Brian Brooks started the Instant Photo Walk, um, which was first based with us at Photo Booth. Um, but I didn't actually get into Polaroids that seriously until after Photo Booth closed, oddly enough. Um, but it was just kind of around and I was seeing what was going on with possible it was at that point very impossible um but <laughs> i see what you did many many ways <laughs> um so it was just kind of part of the photo conversation that we were having there um and what's nice what's so nice about polaroid um is that it is it, it's an instant medium you you have your finished product, like the second you click the shutter, which is the exact opposite of what I do when I'm um, doing gum bichromate prints, which take me three or four days to make. Um, so it, it it was kind of a nice counterbalance of something that was more instant gratification. Um, and to play with you know new film stocks and new cameras and see what happens um and because you don't know when you pick up a new camera how you and it are different and yeah. how it's going to change how you see uh, so well, in a way picking up the board was just kind of a a bit of a release in that i wasn't thinking about making series or you know making art i was just having fun taking pictures that's important to have fun yeah. 
makes um, a huge difference. So I've gotten um, into instant film a little bit more. I've done a couple series using inspired uh, Polaroid, which is really fun because you have no idea if it's even going to work. Um, but I love when you don't get the full spread and you get, you know, yeah, these partial images that come up. Yeah, and it, like for for some people that aren't familiar with with what she means, um, with with the full spread on the Polaroids is, um, you know, sometimes when you shoot expired Polaroids, all the developer doesn't spread the whole way, and that's because um, the 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 developer packs are in the little white space in the bottom here, but it's not one big contiguous um, pack. There's actually three pods in here. And sometimes when um, they age, they uh, some of the pods age differently than, than others. And so sometimes, you know, one or two of the pods will work great um, and you'll get like weird spreads and it's kind of funky because it looks like mountains and stuff like that. It's really cool. So on my website, in the Polaroid figures category, I did a bunch of uh, news with the entire website. And some of them are cool because you might just most center a little bit to the side. And there's always weird color shifts. Like some of them are blue, and there's some that turn out bright yellow. And, and you have no idea what any pack is. Yeah, that's the kind of joy with with uh, with the expired Polaroid. You really have no idea what you're getting into. Like it's um, it's kind of a crapshoot. I have kind of found though that at least for a lot of the packs I've shot, there's like a bit of consistency. Like the first couple, you can kind of get an idea of like where where the pods are going to be. And... Yeah, usually like within the pack, you have to general idea of what it might do. Yeah, so you kind of know it's like if I'm gonna like uh, be framing the shot, I'm okay dead center, but like they kind of like die part way through, or it's it's more to the left or more to the right. Yeah, it's Polaroid's fun. That that's what got me into Polaroid was playing with the expired film because um, I got into it late. Like I didn't start playing around with Polaroids until like 2017. And it was just before stuff started like skyrocketing in price. So it's like I was still able to find people that were like, oh, yeah, I got like this box of old Polaroid stuff. Some first 20 bucks takes it kind of thing. And now it's just like expired Polaroid. Don't know what it's like. 100 bucks for the pack. And it's like, no, <clears throat> which is crazy. I can't believe how much people are charging for uh, for old instant film now. And especially because you don't know. They're yeah. Especially if you're buying like lots off of eBay, that you have no idea how it's going to work. Um, if the pods are completely dead, yeah, like that's the saddest thing. Like when you get something off of eBay and you shake it and it sounds like a maraca, and you're like, oh no, that's the saddest sound. That's cool. Um, so with, with the dark rooms in, in your place, is that just uh, for, for kind of fun or is that um, like you, you produce stuff as, um, as part of your practice? Um, you know, a little bit of both. Um, my partner has been a black and white, mostly large format guy for, what, almost 30 years. Um, 
Um, so he originally uh, set up art from here, and, um, and so he's uh, very, very prolific in black and white work. That's cool. Jen's curious if anyone's found out a way to reconstitute dried out pods. Uh, I don't think so. I wonder if it's anyone's tried like injecting like water or something with a syringe into the, the pod. That is moisten it up a bit. Well, I, I've got plenty of dried out. Yeah, I've got a bunch of dried out stuff too that that makes me so sad. She says I did try it. So I'm guessing it wasn't it wasn't a successful uh, science experiment. Yeah, I think chemicals are dry. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess water wouldn't really be effective with that one. I I had a bunch of spectra that I bought that just was like it was all all dead and it was like a super bummer because like the pods were like rock hard and there was just like no chance and then a bunch of four by five sheets that um, were all dried out which was really sad too because like the the four by five Polaroid was such a cool cool format. Like Sorry, when they you, you first, you. uh, you know, back in the early 2000s, you could go 55 yeah. and all that fun stuff. Yeah, Type 55 is such a cool, cool format. Like, that's, um, I still have a bit of a box that the last time I shot it, which was like two years ago now, it was working, so... Um, I should probably get around to finishing to shoot that box off. I, I think I'm losing your audio again. The curse is back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Alright. Uh, Maybe it's working again? It's working. Fingers crossed. Cool. Uh, is there any um, like projects or, or stuff you've been working on the last little bit that you're all excited about, or like, is there anything that you're super jazzed about with uh, with any of your practice? Um, I mean, really, the last year and a half has been non. to feel creative and inspired. Um, so I've done a couple of things. Um, I, I did a really interesting workshop with Morgan Abney on making your own memento mori. And I got some really interesting pieces that came out of taking class. I think, um, there's comments that your audio is, is cutting out again. Um, we're just not having much luck tonight. Dang. Um, 
maybe we'll let's try turning both of our videos off and just going dark and audio only and maybe that'll help with your bandwidth on your side too i can't figure out how to turn my video off um there's a little like camera icon it'll be like next to like the microphone icon um Be like somewhere around your your image there, maybe. All I did is turning my camera on. It should be like next to the, or maybe I, I don't know. We'll we'll try this. Maybe like my video being off will be less bandwidth on your side. <laughs> Um, what was the um, the project you, you said you were working on? Oh, um, so I took an online workshop with Morbid Anatomy on creating your own mentoring and kind of the idea of confronting death through art. Um, so I made some interesting work out of that class. Um, I did some Polaroid answers. Um, where the prompt is uh, this historic idea of half-living and half-dead. Um, so I printed out um, a digital image of a skull, and I did the Polaroid transfers of my face over the skull, and it turned out really interesting. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, and right now, I live on a lake. We are experiencing a horrible, horrible drought. Um, so the lake level is the lowest it's been since 1977. I think the second lowest in record. Uh, so all of this stuff getting uncovered as the lake recedes. So I've been picking up uh, kind of human garbage <laughs> that is being exposed. So I'm going to be doing a series of still lives based on uh, the random things that I'm pulling out of the lake. Uh, so the other day I found a 1952 Coke bottle. Um, you found a what, sorry? A 1952 Coke bottle. Whoa, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, like tools that have been dropped off our boat lift that have been in the water for five years. Um, found a radio, um, like mostly, you know, beer cans and beer bottles. Um, but, you know, things get dropped off of boats or swept up in storms. And so there's this layer of human garbage um, that's kind of littering our picking up and trying to kind of reconnect. So I'm planning on shooting these in So it be interesting. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, like the, I, I saw some of the stuff on, on the drought that's going on in California and it's wild. Like I saw some photos of Lake Mead and I mean, it was already like the last time I saw Lake Mead was like four or five years ago and they were already in like a like this is a danger zone kind of situation 
and it was even wilder to see like how low it's at now like that's kind of crazy yeah and like last uh, we have such a tradition of houseboats the lake is so low that either the houseboats are up basically on the parking lot now or they're all jammed into this like tiny that's crazy but luckily it's raining Uh, I think everybody in California is very very excited about that yeah Uh, because that also means are you guys still having some fires going on down there right now um not too many uh, currently fires um, and there were so fires in North Yeah, uh, I, I one too close to us this time. Yeah, I saw some of the fires were pretty gnarly um, this year. Like that is it's like one thing that uh, BC shares with California is that that joyful West Coast fire season. And it just gets early and early. Yeah, it's it's crazy too, like how some people are with with the fire stuff. Like, um, shit, this is like in two thousand three. I used to work for Time Warner Roadrunner Broadband Cable uh, as a customer support person in a call center in Kamloops, but covering uh, America. And we were getting calls during like the the fires in two thousand three that were going on down there, and I would have people phoning in, being like my internet's broken and I need to send email. And I'm like, okay, like, what's your address? And I look up like their address and I'm like, you're in a fire zone. Like you, you have no internet because the lines have melted. Like, you know, like, but I need to send an email. And it's like, you need to get the fuck out of your house before you burn. <laughs> They're like, I'll pay for my internet and I want the internet. It's like, yeah, but. You're on fire right now. <laughs> it's like, get the fuck out of your house before you burn, you idiot. Right? And it was just crazy. Like we would get call after call of these people being so pissed at us that their internet wasn't working because of the fires. And it's like, I get it, but like you're in an evacuation zone. Like, get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know. We were um, what? I guess three, three or so years ago. Um, we were um, under evacuation for a week because we were right between two fires that practically joined. So one was on this side of us and one was on this side of us. And like, we're right there. Um, So basically they evacuated the whole Western half of the county because there's only one highway. Yeah. Uh, So I was evacuated to our apartment in in San Francisco for a week with our cat who had a nervous breakdown. So that was fun. Because of the the stress of the fire and stuff? Um, I think because she went from having a house and a yard and being able to go outside to being trapped in a studio apartment and she had no idea what the hell was going on. So I'd wake up at like two in the morning and she's just like crying. Sweetie, there's no outside. You can't go out because there is none. I'm sorry. (laughs) Cats don't like that. Not, Not one bit. Um, 
So this, the second I got that text alert on my phone saying we've been downgraded to evacuation warning, I'm like, I'm picking up the car and bringing her home. You must have because, been to be back. Oh, but that, I mean, it's so stressful. And so now every fire season, it's, I'm constantly filled with anxiety and dread. Is, because, is your guys- um, is your house in like a like a danger zone or I mean we're in kind of a suburban spot in a very very rural county um, so we are in a danger zone um, and we've seen over the past couple of years like with the fire that went through Santa Rosa and the fire that went through Paradise just because you're in a more built up area doesn't mean you're safe from wildfire anymore. That's so that's <laughs> have you um have you ever um done any like photography of the the fires when, like when that's happened? Have you ever had a chance to go explore that or um yeah after some of our big fires um we've you know gone on excursions and driven through kind of the the devastation and um the fire where we were evacuated burned along the highway to get into the county um so you know i drove through that you know at least once a month so i have taken pictures of some of the aftermath but I don't know if they were successful and I haven't really done anything with them. Um, I think partially it just feels a little too, too raw. Yeah. I I understand that kind of sentiment. Like there's, there's a bunch of stuff I've shot that probably won't like get out there publicly just because it's, it's too raw. Like it's just, you know, I don't, regret taking the photo but it's just like you know it's this is not for mass consumption yeah and it's like if i'm driving through somebody's neighborhood where you know people have lost their homes um that just feels exploitative Mm -hmm. yeah i i can see the exploitative thing i it is still also important to have like some kind of documentation of that too though to yeah just, you know at some point in in the future like you know it'd be um important to have that but hey, we had a really bad fire here um well, several bad fires in, in bc but one that like completely destroyed a, a small uh, village in the interior named Lytton. And that was, like, a really sad one because, like, people had, like, next to no warning to, to get out. Like, it was just all of a sudden the town was ablaze and people had to abandon ship. And it's been months now and they're not even allowed to go back into the remains of the town because the government is saying that there's, like, something toxic there. So these people aren't even able to go sift through what's left of their lives to see if there's anything there. And um, yeah, it's kind of awful to hear about that yeah it's terrifying um especially because with these fires they can come through so quickly and you don't have warning 
And so it's like, what do you grab, especially, you know, as photographers where you have, you know, decades of negatives and things that it's like when, when I was faced with evacuation, I was like, all right, get my negatives, get some cameras, um, family photos. And I grabbed a big bag of expired Polaroid. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, most everything else doesn't matter, but I'm taking this Polaroid with me just in case. Well, Papa Land's not making any more of it, so. Yeah, like, it's important to grab that kind of stuff. Like, one of of my friends, um, an artist friend of him and his wife's, uh, she's, like, I think they said that she's, like, you know, in either late 70s, early 80s, but her whole creative practice just burned to the ground because it her studio was in her house and like you know decades worth of work just completely gone and she's like I'm old I'm not starting over again <laughs> like it's it was pretty devastating for for her to find that and I, I couldn't imagine what what that's like and um it, it's weird thinking about those things too like I've spent a bunch of money at home to like create these backups for like all of my media stuff that I I make on the computer like photographs and, and things like that and I've spent all this money to have like these hard drives that protect it at home but then I'm like what if my house burns down and they like you know all that money doesn't matter so it's like it's important to have some sort of idea to back that up I don't know to like a cloud or put it in a safety deposit box or something like it's um it's weird to think about sometimes, but it's not something that a lot of us have to think about. I mean, before natural disasters were like earthquakes, if things fall off the shelf, it's not that big of a deal. Um, Fires are just so, so destructive that it's hard to comprehend. Yeah, it is. Well, it's good that it's raining because that'll hopefully help a bit, not only with the drought, but um, any fires that may still be um, sizzling on. Yep. That's very cool. Out of all of the, the things you've done so far in, in your in your practices and stuff, um, what's been one of your either most favorite or most interesting moments you've had? With, with. Um, geez. Tough one. Well, I I think one thing we haven't even mentioned yet um, is is my work with Analog Forever magazine, and yeah. that yeah. has been an amazing journey because. I've been able to meet and connect and talk to so many different photographers. And it, it's kind of funny in that, you know, you can, you know, call someone up or have a Zoom meeting with someone you've never met before. But so often you just feel this instant connection, like you guys have been friends forever. 
and you have the same interests and similar ideas. And uh, that's been really great, just getting to know more doctors doing different sorts of practices. And, and how did you get into, uh, you know, being part of the uh, Analog Forever? Um, out of the blue, I got an email from Michael Kerchief saying, um, I'm going to be editor-in-chief for this new magazine that Marco, Michael Balin's starting. Uh, do you want to come on board as a writer? And I'd never really done any writing or that sort of thing before. And it just sounded like an interesting challenge to take on. That's cool. So so how long have you been part of it? We just had our third anniversary, I think. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and uh, our fifth print issue is at the printer right now. Um, so that should be coming out next month, which is very exciting. That's very cool. Yeah, I've been seeing um, the, the posts board on your guys' Instagram. Yeah, so, like, for this issue, I talked to uh, one guy who's uh, a Turkish Brit that's living in Madrid, Um, one guy that lives in uh, Medicine Hat, Alberta, that used to be a fashion photographer in Milan, (laughs) in Santa Fe. Medicine Hat is a long way away from Milan. Like that's right. Yeah, yeah. He grew up in Medicine Hat. Uh, got into photography. Decided to move to Milan and become a fashion photographer. And now oh. he's back. Okay, that that makes that makes more sense then. Because um, I was just like, was it just like a random decision? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'd be like, man, who? So I, I like I was born and grew up in Calgary for a little bit, which is not too far away from Medicine Hat. So I'm just like, one doesn't just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to move to Medicine Hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so just meeting all of these different people that I wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to talk to before has been really cool. That's so cool. And and it's inspiring to see uh, all the different work people are creating and especially using analog processes. It's not to put you on the spot, but what's been like one of your most favorite interviews so far through Analog Forever? Or if if picking one is hard, uh, top three. Okay. Um... Probably one of my favorites was my interview with Fred Lyon. Um, I've known Fred for over a decade. Uh, and he is in his 90s now. Uh, and did, he was a commercial, but he also has this vast archive of street photography in San Francisco. And um, when I interviewed him, I spent two full afternoons in his studio, just chatting and listening to stories. And he's just one of the the nicest, funniest men I've ever known. And so being able to spend that time with Fred was um, really special. That's cool. Um, 
Let's see, who else? Um, and uh, Wes Bell, uh, the the photographer in Medicine Hat, like when we talked, it was just like one of those things where it's an instant connection and you're able to just uh, chat with somebody and connect with them on an ideas level. Um, trying to think of who else I've talked to. Um, just, just so many people. They're very cool. That is very cool. I, I can kind of like understand that, that neatness and, and relate to it a little bit. Like with, um, with the chat, like, um, I've talked to a lot of people who, um, I've been like loosely connected with and some people who I've never actually talked with at all before previously. And, uh, it's been kind of cool, like, you know, having that, um, uh, mutual connection of, of like photography between each other um, helps sort of like bridge that gap and makes it easier to to chat to these people and it, it feels like you've been talking to someone um, you know for uh, that, that you've known for ages yeah and you know we're all such nerds that we connect with other nerds you know that's just the nice thing about photography. Yeah, it is um, definitely, definitely nerdy. Um, I, I like getting nerdy with uh, with other people sometimes too about it because um, it's just kind of fun to like um, just have like not necessarily gear talk, mm-hmm. but like getting getting nerdy about like the things that you like enjoy doing about it or things that you've tried that that are kind of neat and sharing that and um you're mentioning chatting with your friend fred there who's who's in his 90s like you know those must be some really fun conversations to geek out with, with him and hear the stories that he's he's experienced in his time yes and boy does he have stories <laughs> okay one of my favorites I, I will give you a great fred line he wasn't there for this but he had an amazing studio in Sausalito uh, with a full bank of windows and he was on a job in New York and um, some editor called him up and said hey uh, Penn's going to be in San Francisco to do this um, story and he use your studio and Fred's like sure okay I, you know, uh, you up with my assistant, the fridge is full of beer. So he brings all of these health angels to the studio for the photo shoot. Um, the girlfriends, like, crazy in the dressing room. They're trying on, like, all these wigs and models' clothes and um, basically walk out with half of the contents of the studio but there's this one moment where apparently all of the hell's angels are lined up against the, the windows and like why wasn't i there for that that would have been an amazing picture <laughs> that would have been such. why didn't someone grab a picture of that that would have been such a great picture I mean, you know maybe it exists but it's one of those ridiculous stories where it's like, they stole the painting out of the kitchen. Uh, they stole the glasses out of the editor's face. 
no one was going to argue with the Hells Angels. No, no. Typically, you, you don't really argue with with that. They they kind of get they kind of get their way. <laughs> but he tells the stories like, but it's just the type of thing that wouldn't necessarily believe, but you know for sure. Yeah, it's it's kind of those stories are really interesting. Like um, since moving back to Vancouver, I've um, made uh, acquaintances with um, a, a gentleman named uh, Henry Robodeau, and um, he's like part of like the Vancouver school of photographers that were like you know famous back in the day, like Fred Herzog and stuff like that. And um, yeah, he's he's getting up there. I think he's like got to be in his late 70s early 80s now but the stories he has are just fantastical like that like you know and it's just like you know the the wild times that they they would have been through and he's telling me like you know when he bought his um you know buying cameras for like you know just a couple hundred bucks and like that's like a couple thousand dollar That's a cool one. Yeah, that's too bad he missed out on that wild party in in his studio. And eventually, apparently, the painting that did get returned. Oh, so in the end, the painting did come back. The painting did come back. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's good. Do you? Um, is there any? Um, interviews that you'd be at liberty to talk about that you have coming up with Analog Forever that you're excited about or? Um, let's see. Well, I've kind of talked about the ones I've got in the upcoming issue and, and those are really interesting. Um, go on and rove your I'm saying that right. Um, has a, a series really fascinates me. Sorry, what, um, what did uh, what do they have? He has this uh, series he's been working on that he did for his MFA project. Um, really fascinating because it has to do with um, mandatory military conscription in Turkey and process they make gay men go the process that they go through to get what sorry an exemption from the military service because the military it, yeah it's a mandatory service gay men serve. Yeah. um so there's really kind of a horrific process they have to go to they have to prove their queerness in front of this government body for six months or a year. Um, and him as a gay Turkish man, even though because he didn't do uh, he has this series of still lives where he's working through the, kind of the process that other people had to go through, creating images that sounds like a really interesting series. Uh, so there are a few 
the uh, stark graphic black and white still lives. Um, and it, the style is very clean and spare and almost forensic in, in the way it's looking at objects. And um, so he's seeing this work of the psychological process of what it means to be a gamer. Oh, your, your audio is breaking up again. Sorry about that. <laughs> but we've definitely, we, we've had some, some good audio moments and then we've, we've, we've had some cursed moments. It seems like it's a, a no bones day for the live. <laughs> but um, I do like, I, I apologize for the, the technical difficulties we've been having here, but it has been great chatting with you. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think maybe we'll, we'll, we'll close it off here and um, we can uh, possibly do a, another a chat when uh, the, yeah, the try again when, when the weather's better. Yeah. I think that'd be great. It's a different house. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, pre I appreciate you coming and spending some time tonight and uh you know for everyone that that stuck with us here um you know thank you for um you know riding the wave with us uh with the technology gods and uh you know thank you so much for for hanging out and sharing your stories um next week i'm gonna have ben uh friend the instagram <laughs> <laughs> butcher his last name there um but uh yeah ben will be joining next week to talk about uh, polaroid and i'm curious to hear about the 20 by 24 experience they recently had with brooklyn film camera and uh the camera dactyl i think so that should be a fun episode but um you know thank thank you again uh ninian it was great chatting with you and i appreciate you sharing your dark room with us and yeah. um showing us your audio setup and uh you know, we'll, uh, we'll definitely do, uh, we'll reconvene another time. We'll, we'll try again. That sounds good. Well, have a great night and a great weekend and, you know, stay safe out there, everyone. All right. Take care.